Well, Church at the Red Door, thank you. Constance and Dan Best, you guys, this is really pathetic, but you guys are the best. So um, thank you for that uh, introduction. Thank you for that uh, beautiful reading of that passage. We're going to try to unpack that a little bit this morning. Uh, the topic this morning or the sermon title this morning is going to be Strange Bedfellows. So that's where we're going to try to go today. We're going to try to unpack that and uh, looking forward to that. Good to be back with you. Uh, again, I want to thank uh, Pastor Dave Seifert and Pastor Paul for their beautiful messages over the last couple of weeks. I had a few uh, small medical issues that turned out to be uh, negative, which were great. So uh, I'm perfectly healthy. A few people are asking, are you okay? I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. Uh, we're challenged in a lot of areas as it relates to the church and, and uh, within our, even within our church family uh, this morning. Uh, I want to begin by just telling you how broken we are, uh, and I was I cleared it with Dennis last night. If you'll remember a few weeks back, uh, Dennis and Carol Vandermonten opened us up and part of our family. Uh, he was the fire chief in San Diego for many years, and well, they lost their son uh, this week to suicide, and uh, we are broken with them. Uh, many of you have been praying, part of the prayer team, executive team, and others, and I would just ask us as a church body, would you just lift them up during this time? Uh, we live in a fallen world and that the effects are ubiquitous. All of us suffer in various ways and this seems like such a tragic end uh, and yet we're hopeful. Uh, their hope was that uh, their son and, uh, had given his life to Christ a number of years back. It's a difficult topic. Many of you have backgrounds that... Um, maybe theologically struggle with that. It is a challenging issue, but we stand in hope with them. We stand in solidarity with them. Uh, I just want you to know, Dennis and Carol, we're lifting you up. So uh, thank you for that as a church. Thank you for standing with us during this time. And then uh, secondly, on a, on a very bright note, I want to tell you that we have a couple uh, as of today, June 28th, is their 50th wedding anniversary Phil and Becky Smith, we want to—we just want to be celebrating with you today. What a legacy to leave, uh, Lisa and your and, and 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 your kids and Phil Smith and uh, your son and and it just a beautiful fifty-year legacy of devotion and marriage. What a picture of Christ and His Church. I mean, it really is. It's that figurative, metaphorical language that the Bible uses in marriage, and we are celebrating with you today. Thank you for your pattern for. What you've done in our body, both of you are such integral parts of Church at the Red Door. So we are celebrating with you. So I know there have been many prayers prayed, but I just feel the need to open us again one more time in prayer this morning as we dive into this uh, difficult topic and I think relevant topic, especially given many of the challenges that we're going through uh, right now in our culture, a little bit what I alluded to a couple of weeks ago kind of the raging uh, waves, the pounding waves, if you will. Uh, why are the nations in an uproar? And we are, and there are some very specific things that I think we can uh, glean from this, the biblical view of what it ha is to have strange bedfellows. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I'm asking you to be with us as a body. Lord, we're scattered now. We're all over there, Chicago and Dallas and the Northwest and Oregon and Washington and Northern California and Texas and all the different places that people are watching this morning. Even many of us who still feel just as distant from one another uh, right here in the valley. Lord, I'm praying that you would be with us, that you would speak to us very specifically this morning, Lord, that you would have a message that would resonate with each one of us, that we would then be intentional with what we learned this morning and always be moving in the direction of you and becoming like you. Lord, your sweet, gentle, precious spirit is what we're after. That's what's going to change the world. Uh, that's what changed the world 2,000 years ago and will continue to change the world. The gentle, peace-loving spirit of Jesus himself. Not afraid to confront, but also always doing it in a way that is loving and has the other the other's interest at heart. And Lord, help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So uh, here's the premise of this morning's message, and it's simply this, that your running buddies, uh, those that you hang around, have a profound impact on your life, both for the positive 
and potentially for the negative. Now, the Bible is replete with warning after warning, admonition after admonition, both again, positively and negatively, about those that you associate with. And we're going to try to do that. Now, as is the case with many ideas, many concepts, many, many theological constructs in the Bible, there is a duality here. You can read it on one hand, and if you just took that completely out of its context and just said, I'm going to live by that, uh, and, not, and not in deference to the rest of the totality of the Word of God, you, you might find yourself this morning, uh, especially given what Dan and Constance just read a minute ago, uh, what you may find yourself in a place, well, we should create some communes, we should go out in the desert, separate ourselves from the world so that we're not uh, impacted by its vice, by its ideologies, and, and by its influence. And, and certainly we're going to see that that's not what the Bible is calling us to do, and yet there is a balance, and we are in fact told not to be bound with unbelievers. I think if you think back about your lives, think about the people, the rocks in your life, those people that you now look back and say, God sent these people into my life. They were rocks. They were compasses. They were life partners in my journey. Uh, they spoke into my life in very significant moments in my life. Or they just influenced me in ways, uh, where maybe not even verbally, just I watched their lives. They, they had an impact on me, not too different than what we were talking about a minute ago with Phil and Becky, a 50-year marriage. You know, both Laura's and my parents have marriages over 50 years. That impacts us. Whether we are aware of it or talk about it, it impacts us in our own lives. Laura and I now have been married uh, just, just around the corner here, 27 years, and we hope to continue that. And then that impacts our children and then their children's children. We are influenced by one another. It's just as simple as that. In fact, we're influenced by nouns, if you will, people, places, things, and now the new construct is and ideas. And when I was growing up, it was people, place, and things. That's what nouns were. But now we say people, places, and things, and, 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 and it's important to understand that ideas are also part of that. I'm going to read this first scripture to you. How do we prevent secular creep into our lives? The creep of ideologies and thoughts and ways and constructs and ways of thinking. How do we do that? Proverbs 22 verse 28 says, Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Look, our culture is pressing in in ways that are really, uh, I won't say unprecedented in human history because we see the cyclicality of how people are moved and cultures are moved and their rise and fall of cultures. We see that. But there's always a push and a movement away from God. It's Satan's strategy. We wants to distance us from our Creator. Whether we become atheists or just embrace spiritual ideas that displace the necessity of Jesus, his, his vicarious death, burial, and resurrection. But there's always a movement away from uh, a pushing away of those ancient boundaries. And what happens is that, that the, the ideas that fill that vacuum begin to encroach. I call it secular creep. It is important for us to understand, folks, that when we choose our associations, it has a profound impact on either advancing that secular creep or slowing it to a point that we can stay lucid in our thoughts, biblical in our uh, feelings and our emotions, which always follow the intentions of our heart. So what we're going to see is that our associations, they matter. They absolutely matter. Why did Jesus call us sheep? I mean, he likened us to sheep. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. We've talked about it here at Church of the Red Door through the years. But he's the shepherd and we're the sheep because sheep are not as smart as they think they are. They, they think that maybe they have everything, but they can very easily just wander off. And so can we, unless, number one, we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit and have his presence to guide us. He is our comforter. Uh, he is one who guides us. He's our paraclete. Uh, that's the power of God that we have that happens through the new birth. But we've got to understand that, that the, our associations, it's the Holy Spirit, it's Christ in others that also have a profound impact on our lives and keep us from wandering off 
uh, away from and into away from security and into dangerous places that can have whether or not it takes our salvation uh, it's another theological debate is not the point but it at least drives us away from being centered in Christ and being productive in the kingdom so let's talk about this a little bit what does the Bible have to say well Proverbs chapter 12 verse 5 listen the thoughts of the righteous are just but the counsels of the wicked, well, they're deceitful. The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So we have uh, a real paradigm here. We have the just uh, from the wise, uh, these just beautiful pictures and thoughts. The ideas are just and right and set up in godlike fashion, and yet the wicked's counsel is always deceitful. Uh, it just is. And so where do you want to be? Well, I want to begin to seek out, uh, find time, uh, be with both physically and otherwise. And for many of us now, it's in this form. I mean, you're being influenced, hopefully, as I'm being influenced, prayerfully. We're all being influenced by this word, by this Bible. I mean, that's our point. We're a community. We're a word-based community. We're being influenced in ways that you couldn't possibly fathom. I mean, you're picking up all kinds of details. I mean, a lot of people say they just look at, at, at the bookcase. What, what, books is it? what books are being read? And you might be influenced by just seeing somebody read a book or by an idea or concept. So we have to be intentional, understanding that the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Now, deceit means it, it doesn't maybe appear that way, but there is an underlining erosion that will happen in our lives if we listen to the counsels of the wicked. So we have to always be in the presence of wisdom. And we know ultimately that's Jesus. He is our wisdom, our counsel. So, okay, first the bad news, uh, the don'ts, the don't be bound together, as we saw a minute ago, as Constance and Dan read that. And then we're going to look at the positives. The It's not just don't, 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 but it's uh, what do we do? What are our intentions? What should our intention be. So first, the bad news. And again, I'm going to quote again what Dan and Constance read a minute ago. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness. A little bit what we just saw. The counsels of the wicked and the counsels of the wise. Uh, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Now that word bound here in the Greek is actually has a negative connotation. It actually means to associate discordantly. In other words, uh, there's a variance in the way that people see the world. Uh, it's a disagreeing. It's not. Uh, it's incongruous. Uh, it's discordant opinions. It's in other words, I'm trying to associate with people on an ongoing basis that will have an influence in my life. And yet, uh, there's always a, a discomfort there. There's a dissonance there. And when I'm around them, uh, I have to believe that the Bible says that they are going to have an impact on me as a sheep. Now, again, well, don't run away and say, well, are you saying to retreat into communes? It's not the biblical admonition. But it's important that we see that there is an influence and to be aware of it so that we can know how to proceed. Now, uh, what does it mean to, to be associate and be bound with somebody? Are we talking about any relationship? I think certainly it's important that we're not unequally yoked. A marriage relationship, something as intimate, the most intimate human relationship that you'll ever have, a marital, a marital relationship that is at odds with one another, not equally yoked, uh, not being able, there, there's always this dissonance between worldviews and life. Some of you live in a situation like that, have lived in a situation like that. It's incredibly challenging. It's not impossible to navigate, but we have to be aware that those are difficult relationships. I've talked to many men. In fact, this very message was born out of a Thursday morning men's study that I conducted, and they said, we really want to hear that. And I had some people say, why don't you do that on a Sunday service, the very genesis of why we're going through this. And many of these guys said, look, I got into a business relationship or I got into this relationship and boy, it led me into some real profound difficulties. I mean, do you think anybody sets out 
to be a junkie on the street? Do you think anybody sets out to be a a thief, maybe some early on in their formation, but usually it's a function of associations. It's people that they know. It's people that they were hanging around. So we have to be aware of that. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to launch here for a little bit. 15.33 simply says, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, I know you think that you can play with fire and not get burned. I'm just telling you, the Bible's saying very clearly here, do not be deceived. Bad company, bad associations uh, will affect the moral compass. It's just as simple as that. Now, what is company? What what is our who? What, what does company mean? What does that mean? Just our association. What kind of associations? Well, certainly we have our occupational associations, our workplace. Well, we've got to go to work. We're going to be around people. Uh, how do we navigate these? We know we're going to be influenced, but we have to be have an awareness of it. And that's why, again, the Bible talks about putting on the full armor of God. Uh, when things come at you, if you have the helmet of salvation, if you know what it is to be saved, if you... Uh, have your uh, loins girded with truth and all, all the various things, a breastplate of righteousness. It protects us from some of these necessary associations in that we can uh, be, have an awareness of what's going on around us, but the Bible's clear we can't, we can't uh, take all that in and fully understand it. What about our social relationships? Now, that can be both people that you go to a party with or that you continuously go on vacation with or that you spend really intimate time with, but in this day and age, social often for many of the younger generations means social media, uh, places that we take things in, news outlets, if you will, all kinds of social input that we get that comes streaming at us from billboards to you know podcasts to the television news to everywhere you go. You cannot escape it. Again, unless we retreat into communes, and the Bible's clear that is not the call. We're not talk talk. We're not taught to try to retreat and be a hermit and live separate from the world. That's not biblical at all, as we'll see as we conclude this message. Uh, but how do we navigate this? What about ideological bedfellows, uh, things that begin to infiltrate us, and then we find ourselves partnering with certain people that are going to influence us, maybe a political ideology, but then there are other elements of this that don't align with the way we view the world or want to view the world in any way. So we have to be cautious, walk in knowing that the Bible, don't be deceived, bad company will affect us. It will profoundly, in fact, corrupt our moral compass. Uh, challenging, isn't it? I mean, it really is. So how, how do we navigate this? Proverbs 24 Verse 21 and 22, my son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change. In other words, those people who constantly are willing to move ancient boundaries, uh, foundational things that humans have understood over long periods of time that lead to despair, the erosion of cultures, uh, uh, personal boundaries and other things and just moral, cultural boundaries don't move them. They're given a change. They, they don't, it doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean anything. It's an antiquated book in many people's minds that does nothing but subjugate us to a, a fairy in the sky, and it, it reduces our liberty and keeps us from freedom. And in fact, we know the opposite is true. Go back and study cultures. Uh, Dave Seifert was talking about that this week and quoting some people, uh, Harvard uh, sociologists that just says, and we know the Scottish historians, the cycle of nations. We can see the erosion. People move the boundaries that God sets. He does it for our benefit, not for his uh, just judge in the sky mentality. He does it for our benefit. People move those. They're given to change. Be careful. Don't associate with those who are giving to change, those who are willing to move ancient boundaries for their calamity will rise suddenly. Who could have imagined that Rome would have collapsed like it did? Who could have imagined, I mean, we go back, the Greek culture, I mean, with gymnasiums, where we got our word gymnasium and all the, the Greek philosophers and the, just this 
this paragon of, of amazing human accomplishment gone. I mean, Greece today struggles and debt and you know all the, the, the crisis and debt that we've seen over the last uh, decade with Greece and all this. I mean, it's still a nation. There's still wonderful people there, but it's not the world power that it once was. So we see this cyclicality. Don't associate with those who are given to change. It will come suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. So that's Proverbs 24, again, in 21 and 22. Now, Proverbs 22, listen, do not associate with a man as an example given to anger. Why? Don't go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't associate with a man given to anger. You're going to learn. You're going to be influenced, whether you are aware of it or not, over time, and it will become what? You'll find a snare for yourself, the Bible says. So these are some of the negative connotations. Uh, it's challenging. What, what is it? What are we doing here right now? I mean, well, the guy's in his office. He's talking about the word. It's, it's kind of a, a, a weak substitute for our being able to gather and worship God. But there's something else that's going on here that's every bit as profound, whether or not you're just an online, never even been to Palm Springs, California in your life. Uh, the Coachella Valley here, and you just somehow tapped in, and you you find some interest. What's going on? We we are setting a standard. We're having a dialogue that is influencing you. You may reject it or so, but it begins to put thoughts into your mind. Now we can be intentional about those thoughts, or we can be not intentional. Let me give you one example. Uh, this is a community that is a grace-based community. We believe in the necessity to be both forgiven by God and also then the outworking of that, which is then we begin to forgive others. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, you know, there's a, there's a powerful picture uh, of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, many of you know, uh, Marilyn Meberg, one in our congregation, suggested I read this book, and then I've suggested it to a couple of you, even in the meantime, it's a beautiful book, A Gentle Answer by Scott Sauls. Listen to what he says, and some of you know the story of Corrie ten Boom uh, in the concentration camps, lost her sister Betsy. Listen to this story. We are a culture that we hope this, this idea, this idea, this, again, remember, nouns, be careful of the nouns. People place things and ideas. Here's the idea. Here's the founding idea of what this community is based around. Let me give you an example. After the defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II, Holocaust survivor and Christian Corrie ten Boom returned to Germany to declare the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Imagine going back to the very place of such a horrific life event in her life. One evening, after giving her message, she was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard from the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, where she had been held and where her sister Betsy had died. When Corrie saw the man's face, she recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards from the camp. He reached out his hand, now catch this, and said to her, a fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mention Ravensbrook in your talk, I was a guard there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, will you forgive me? About this encounter, Corey writes, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I, and I simply could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death by simply asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. And as she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey says that something incredible took place. She continues, The current started in my shoulder. It, it, it raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, 
I cried with all my heart. I had never known love so intensely as I did then, but even then I realized it was not my love, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. So as an example, are you intentional about associating yourself with a community that even reads that, that talks about that, that puts that up as something to be uh, sought after, uh, a way of living that is reflective of Jesus? Or do you find yourself, maybe with a political ideology or something else that rises up, a social justice cause or something, and, and doesn't hold that up as a primary perspective and finds itself uh, devolving into a place of riot and anarchy because there is a lack of forgiveness. Now, uh, any community, look, I'm not saying there's not social injustice, but I assure you that uh, along with the slave trade and other atrocities, genocides that have occur occurred throughout human history, this was a genocide. This is uh, at, would certainly be in people's top five list uh, of, of all time of injustice, and here she was, her own sister, murdered at the hands of a guard like this, what, what is she to do? And this is the answer. So are you part of a community that would be talking in this way? And obviously many of you are, or you probably wouldn't be listening here this morning. Are you intentional? You know, uh, the question for me is, Psalm 101 verse 3 and verse 6, I have sought this in my life. Listen, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way, well, he's the one that will minister to me. Uh, Laura and I, when I may have told the story before, forgive me, but when we were, when I was playing the Nike tour for a while, this was when we were very first married over 25 years ago. And uh, we were heavily influenced. To this day, we've been influenced. We met a couple on the road. Uh, he was a pastor, Bill Kittrell and his wife, and they had some children. And at that time, Laura did not want kids. And now she's head of our, head of our children, you know, but she didn't want kids. She didn't want anything to do with kids. She, don't, she just did, it wasn't in her heart at all. And, and yet we were heavily influenced. And I remember, and Bill Kittrell's name to this day is written, written in my Bible, uh, Psalm 101, verse 6, my eyes will be upon the faithful land and they will dwell with me and those who walk in a blameless way were the ones that are ministered to me. And at that time, he and his wife are the ones that were ministering to, to us, both verbally and non-verbally through the way they interacted with their children, the way their children were homeschooled, which then provoked Laura to homeschool our girls. And now she's helped many, many others uh, in homeschooling their children and and. And she even wants to do that when our children are gone. She wants to continue to give into the community and do those things. We were heavily influenced by the association of someone who ministered to us in a blameless way. It just is. Are you intentional? Is Psalm 101 a place of intentionality for you? I'm not going to put that worthless stuff before my eyes. No way. I'm gonna, what am I going to put before my eyes? And this is the shift into the positive now. Uh, what am I going to put before my eyes? What am I going to be bound to? Well, I'm going to be bound to those who minister in a blameless way. Look, if you're looking for somebody that has no hypocrisy in your life, uh, you need to go no further than Jesus because he's the only one that I know. I mean, I would love to know. I would love to walk without any hypocrisy. It is, I just have tried and I just can't. I I want to live up to everything that the Lord has called me to do, but there are still elements of my character that I, if I waited, I read this this week, if I waited to preach something until I had fully accomplished it, I would still, I'd never have preached one message. I think it was Francis Schaeffer who talked about that. Look, I, but we aspire, we make it our intention. We're striving forward toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We don't look back. When we fall, we get up. Look, this is not about perfection. It's not about finding perfect people, but it's about finding people, like-minded people, who will help you in your journey and influence you in ways that you are not fully conscious of. 
So what is the good news? You can choose. You can choose. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 63. What, what he says here, he says, I'm the companion of all those who fear you, God, and of those who keep your precepts. In other words, I look, I'm intentional. One of the most valuable things you'll ever do is spend your money, spend your time, spend your energy, do everything you can. And we have so many of them in church at the red door. I, Laura and I constantly sit back and look and, and think, wow, we, I, there are so many brilliantly Jesus-like people who have journeyed with him much longer than we have. And they are available in the community. I know we're struggling to meet now, but they are available. Even if it's by phone or email, they are available to you. Be intentional. Find people who keep his precepts, who walk by the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're not under the law. They're, they're living by the voice, the active voice of the Holy Spirit. They know the word. They're driven to be like Jesus and to advance the gospel. Be a companion of them. But... Uh, Work your way into their lives and see that that's more precious than gold for you. Christ and others can be have a profound effect. Look, right now we're so distanced, social distancing. It's the antithesis of what we're talking about. There's still ways to connect, you know? There's still ways to connect, and this is one of them. Zoom meeting, whatever. I've done it with my family. I've done it. We do it with links. We do it with our staff. We do it with Bible studies. Do that. Do whatever it is, whatever it takes, but connect in some way with those who love his precepts. Psalm 16, verse 3. As for the saints who are in the earth, now catch this, they are the majestic ones in whom, what? It's all my delight. In other words, the delight I have in life is not just buy a new car, a new house, or a new this, or a new that, or something novel. The delight comes from uh, my connection with those who are the majestic ones. And who are the majestic ones? It's those that are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, there are majestic people out there that don't yet know Jesus. And they're grace-filled, and, uh, but the Bible simply says that they are dead spiritually. Uh, this is not talking about that. The majestic ones here in the context of their connection to God and that power is streaming through them, if you will. The body is, uh, it's kind of talk, Dallas Willard talks a little bit about this. It's a repository of God's power. And so if you understand that God's power can be in others, when you're around them, you're, you're feeling it in a very genuine sense and you can be profoundly impacted by that. And then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Listen to what Timothy, Paul says to this young man, Timothy, is his second letter. He says simply this, Timothy, flee youthful lust, all the novel things that grab for our attention and say, and make us these little promises. This is gonna make you happy. This is gonna make you, this is gonna fulfill you. This is gonna take you to the next level. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, again, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So how are we doing life? We're doing it with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Not perfect people, but people who are intentional, people who are clothed in Christ's righteousness, the, the majestic ones. Why? Because they're better people? Will they... No. I mean, we're all created in Mago Day. Everyone's created in God's image, but they've now been reborn. God lives in them. Seek them out. And those who pursue, not just people who go to church, but you can see an active pursuit in their life, an active prayer life. Seek them out and do life with them. That's what Paul's telling Timothy here. Flee all this other stuff. It just, it comes and it goes. Ideas, people are so in an uproar about everything Seek those who are riveted on becoming like Jesus from a pure heart. Now, at the end, here are kind of the results, okay? So are we to be bound together? Well, mm, no, not in a negative sense. We, we realize that we're influenced, and, but we're, we also are bound together with the majestic ones. Uh, we're, why? We're bound together to bring life to the world, not to be exclusive or judgmental or uh, create some kind of us versus them community. No, that's not, that doesn't solve anything. I mean, look at Jesus. If he did that, he would have had anybody to hang out with. His disciples didn't understand anything. They were lost. They had made the decision to follow him. 
but they were usually in the dark about what he was talking about and understanding and but he always he found out he sought out those marginalized people those people that were a million miles away from his father and his kingdom that would be coming and he spent time with them so we know that but we're bound together so we are cautious about who we're bound with but we're intentional about also who we're bound with and then when we're bound with those people we can go back into that world, as we'll see in a minute, and we'll see something profound. The results are simple. Look, we're sharpened when we hang out with one another. Proverbs 27, verse 17 simply says that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, there's some who say this may be, they break down the Hebrew and it may have a negative connotation, but most commentaries simply say that this, this is like if you bring two kind of dull things together and they begin to rub up against one another, they become sharper. It's a great picture of what happens to us as we rub up against one another, you know, face-to-face, personally. And I know, that's what makes it hard, is social distancing. But we do the best we can right now with what we have. But as we do that, as we engage one another in conversation and, and doing life together, uh, what happens? We become sharpened. You know, Paul says this to the Thessalonians as well, 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 8 through 12. He essentially just simply says, uh, he, pre- we, he basically says, we presented our lives to you, Thessalonians, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of his calling on your lives. So what he's saying is we presented our physical bodies, our lives, we gave our lives to you to connect with you, to associate with you, to be bound together with you so that so that you could walk in a way that rises to the level of the calling that God has on your life. In other words, what Paul knew is that we're going to sharpen you by you associating with us because we've been associating with Jesus and we've been associating we've been associating with the apostles and we've been associating with many godly men and women, they, they influenced us. Now we've imparted our lives. We are willing to associate you, with you. We've given our lives to you so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's a result. The opposite is when we're not intentional, we lose direction. In fact, we kind of lose our minds. Now we think we can discern what goes in and out and filter everything. But let me tell you something there. Our profound influences happen. That happen when in our unconscious state. Uh, We're not always in a conscious state. So Proverbs 14 verse 7, leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. In other words, you'll lose your ability to discern. If you think that we are so powerful that we can just go into any and every environment, not have connection, not be intentional about binding ourselves to the majestic ones in the earth and just go and spend the vast majority of our time in kind of an unfiltered way, not in a missional way, again, but just in a, these are my my peeps, you know, these are the people that I hang out with uh, and many of them are fools. You will lose your ability to discern right and wrong. That's what the Bible says. This is, and so we have to be aware that we have the idea that we can somehow filter everything. You know, I've quoted from him before, uh, again, a secular book, just kind of some of the current sociological science on this. You're not so smart. Uh, Again, this is called priming. Okay, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Here's the misconception, according, again, to David McRaney. The misconception is you, you know when you're being influenced, and how it is affecting your behavior. He said, science says that's a misconception. The truth, the reality is, from a lot of the sociological um, study here, the truth is you are unaware of the constant nudging you receive from ideas formed in your unconscious mind. Now, I don't know whether you uh, maybe agree, it's called priming. Uh, Casinos do it all the time. Uh, You walk in, why? There's no clocks on the wall. There's no, they, they, there's no windows. They, they want you to not know what time it is, so you lose track of time. Uh, those are unconscious cues that you get. And if you kind of, you're getting a little tired and you look up and see, oh my gosh, it's 11.30, I better get up to bed. But if there's no clocks around, they are intentionally priming you in ways. But a lot of this happens also without 
without any intention on anybody's part, it just kind of happens. He gives an example. He says, okay, you're driving home from the grocery store and you realize you forgot to buy spinach dip, which was the only reason you went there in the first place. Maybe you could buy some at a gas station. Nah, you'll just get it the next trip. Thoughts of dip lead to ruminations to the price of gas, which lead to uh, excogitation over bills, which leads to thoughts about whether you can afford a new television, which reminds you of the time you watched an entire season of Battlestar Galactica in one sitting. What the heck is going on here? You're home already and you have no recollection of the journey. You drove home in a state of highway hypnosis, your mind and body seemingly floating along in parallel. When you stopped the car and turned the key, you snapped out of a dreamlike state, sometimes called line hypnosis, which when describing the dissociative middle world of an assembly line worker stuck in a repetitive grind, in this place, consciousness drifts as one mental task goes into autopilot and the rest of the mind muses about less insipid affairs floating away into the umbra. Now, last thing. When a stimulus in the past affects the way you behave and think or the way you perceive another stimulus later on, it's called priming. Every perception, no matter if you are consciously notice it, sets off a chain of related ideas in your neural network Pencils make you think of pens. Blackboards make you think of classrooms. Happens to you all the time. And though you are unaware, it changes the way you behave. In other words, much of priming simply cannot be controlled unless you are more aware of the intentions of your associations. Again, this is, again, a secular book just saying, look, priming affects us. Uh, things that occur start a stream of consciousness. In other words, so we talk about this all the time. I had to file things early on in my life uh, and people would say something and it would go down in there and I wouldn't even be kind of aware that I had it and all of a sudden it would come back up in a thought pattern and then I meet somebody else and then I do something and all of a sudden I'm changing my views on things and I said, where did that come from? And I wasn't even that conscious about sitting down and working through all the facts and the figures and being very, you know, conscious of my my transition, I just changed attitudes and behaviors without even being aware of it. It's this hypnotic line this uh, that works from thought to thought to thought to thought to association. Now, obviously, as a follower of Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit is in the world constructing some of those thoughts in our minds, and then at some point we have a choice whether or not we're going to follow that line of thinking. But the fact is, you are less resilient, less immune to things around you than you think you are, therefore, be intentional. I, I remember a story, you know, when I was, uh, I played in the U.S. Amateur at Shoal Creek uh, back in my last or second last year in college. I had qualified to play as, you know, thousands of people. It's kind of like the U.S. Open as the U.S. Uh, amateur and uh, made it to the finals. Uh, then you have 200-something players, got into the final 64, got into match play, won my first match against a guy that was actually a, quite a bit better than I was. Met an old guy, he was about 30 at that time, and he destroyed me in the second round, and, and uh, he ended up winning the U.S. Amateur that year. And uh, so I think I was the one who gave him all the confidence. And uh, anyway, so I remember that. It's, those are indelible memories, you know, playing in a big thing, being on television, doing all that kind of thing, and went home and then watching on television the final round or two, and here's the guy that beat me, and now he wins the U.S. Amateur. And so I felt really close and connected and all this kind of thing. But here's what's interesting. Something happened there that is just, I was completely unconscious about. I'll never forget, we stayed with a lady named Peggy from Birmingham, Alabama. That's where it was being played at Shoal Creek. And, you know, oh, everything's just wonderful, and she had us in, and, and she had a daughter, don't even remember the daughter's name. They said, hey, we'll take, a, there's a couple of guys, we'll take you guys out to have some dinner that night or whatever. And I remember, and they were a wealthier uh, family, and we were staying at their home, and, and I always kind of had a propensity towards BMW cars, and she had a BMW, and I remember, I'll never forget, it was just, it was an indelible picture in my mind, I'm sitting in the back seat, I'm looking at the instrument panel, and I had this old Chevy thing that was old, and the window wouldn't roll up or down, and it was it was pathetic. It was a, it was a gross car, and um, I'm afraid to tell you the color because uh, powder blue. And uh, anyway, that was at home, and then I saw this tight German something, and it just 
it just piqued my interest and, and it just flooded in and I made all these associations, conscious, unconscious, whatever, and somewhere in my mind began this positive relationship, this positive association with BMW. Now, as it turned out later in my life, I became friends with uh, Dr. Wolfgang Reitzel, who's the head of BMW. I would travel to Munich many times, actually did some commercials for BMW back in my 20s, ha and have had a long-running relationship with me now. And, and look, I, think of it as a status symbol or something. I don't think of it. I just like, like, that's the car I drive. Somehow, that got built into my system through some things that happened in my life, and it just kind of worked out. And uh, to this day, I was like, I, I've tried to buy other cars and I end up coming back to, to, to driving that. Whether it's a used one or not, I end up driving that car. Why? I don't know. Associations. Somehow, we stayed with Peggy and I met her daughter and, and I saw the, we were, I'll never forget it. We were in the dark and I saw the instrument panel and I, I juxtaposed that to the instrument panel of my car and I go, I want that one day. Didn't have any squeaks and the windows rolled up and all that. I don't know where they came from. It's just in my, it's in my own mentality and it came through an association. Now, that's the reality. It's not a conscious this and that or it just happens and it happens to all of us. We can't control all that. But we can be intentional about who we deeply associate with. Now, before we finish here, I think it's important to say, well, what are you saying? Don't hang out with people who aren't the majestic ones. Don't have anything to do with them. It's not biblical. And Paul actually answers that in his letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5. Listen to what he says. And it's important that we get this because this brings this seeming apparent contradiction, this duality in Scripture together to formulate an ideology that we can all live in in a grace community that we aspire to be. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. I, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. He says, but I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world. He said, or with the covetous or the swindlers or idolaters, for then, well, you would have to go out of the world. Jesus was clear we shouldn't do that. You're the salt of the world. You know, you're the light of the world. You don't put a light under a bushel. You put it up on to where everybody can see it. Don't leave the world, go into the world. Wait a minute, I thought you told us not to associate with immoral, and now you're telling associate with immoral. Here's what he goes on to say. Actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, he makes the distinction. Paul, no, Paul's the ultimate evangelist. He's going to the immoral. He's going to the Gentiles that have no idea who God is. Have not, and even heard, many of them hadn't even heard of Jesus, this Jewish Messiah who died for the sins of the world. He's one of them. There's never been a more missional person than the Apostle Paul. You think he's going to tell us not to go in and create relationships and friendships among people who don't know Jesus? Of course not. He's saying be cautious, be intentional. And so if you put all this together, you say contradiction. Do, don't. It's a big contradiction. It's not a contradiction. When we go into a world, we go in and I have genuine, loving relationship and friendships, many with people who don't yet know Jesus. I love them. I see God's signature in their lives. They're created in his image. I want them to find Jesus. I want them to have the kind of life-giving reality that I have in Jesus. Of course I do, and that is my highest intention. But I'm also aware that I want to find those who love Jesus, be around them, absorb from them the very Creator's nature through them. And I'm also intentional that when I get with somebody who claims to be a believer, and I'm not talking about those who fall and then are truly repentant, but people who are clearly a million miles away, have no intention of changing, but call themselves Christians, I'm cautious of those people. I'm cautious. Uh, and Jesus was as well. In fact, the Bible says he knew what was in man. So the bottom line is we have to work this tightrope of being intentional about our associations, both good, positive, and negatively bound to those, certainly in deeper relationships. The balance is we hang around. We seek the company of the righteously wise, and we also seek the company of those who are hurting 
and disconnected from the very creator of the universe. So I hope this has been helpful. Uh, it's a challenging topic. It sounds um, exclusive at times. I'm sure some of you can walk away and say, we're supposed to be exclusive and, and exclude people. It's not. It's about inclusion. It's about kingdom growth, but it's also about wisdom and realizing that we're not quite as smart as we think we are, that we cannot always filter everything through our conscious mind. We're picking up things, cues, symbols, and all those kinds of things. And so the Bible's very clear, don't neglect gathering together. Why? So you can be impacted by Christ in others. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Church at the Red Door and the Church at the Red Door community online that uh, is growing. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to imperfectly, but as best I could, unpack your heart, both for the world and for your church, and how we can navigate the waters of a secular creep. Lord, it's difficult. Would you help us? Would you give insight? Lord, I also pray for the Vandermottens. Lord, I be so present with them this week. Lord, uh, our hearts are shattered for what's gone on in their lives. And there are many in our community that are suffering right now. I pray for my, my friend Jeff Hopper at Lynx, you know, is really struggling, Lord. And, and, I, and I think of so many others and John, the John Reillys of the world and the Joe Pinkners of the world, Lord, uh, the Gingy Andersons and many who are suffering in various ways. And those are just a small uh, clip of those who are suffering. Lord, let us come together. Let us trust you, lift one, and up and lift one another up and mention these folks in our prayers this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we love you. We'll, uh, we'll be back here next week. Not sure what I'm gonna preach on, but I intend to uh, seek the Lord this week. And uh, we love you, we miss you, and we are coming to you in the next, next week or so with a real clear update on both property. We're waiting on one last little thing to happen an update on property and an update on when we'll meet, how we'll meet, what that looks like, and all the things. Just know we are working feverishly to try to you know, bring something uh, and keep us together as a community. So challenging times. We love you. Have a great week. God bless.